Here to discuss ESG investing is William Burkhart, CEO of the Investment Integration Project. William, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, William, we hear a lot about ESG investing. We have over the past few years, ESG, of course, standing for environmental, social, and governance investing. But how are companies actually rated when determining these rankings? Yeah, so the, typically their uh, ESG ratings agencies look at, they rate companies against others within their own industry. So in, you know, we we're talking, you mentioned Tesla and Exxon. So an oil and gas company is often rated separately from an automobile company or a technology company. And in the particular case of Exxon, it may line up well against other oil and gas companies, but would look less well when compared to a tech company like Apple, simply because of Exxon's total greenhouse gas emissions. So how can a company like Exxon really, though, rate better than the world's biggest EV maker? Yeah, yeah. So, so this gets into that. So you think about that kind of idea of how they're being rated. So look at Tesla. So on the environment, it may rate really well, but allegations of racial discrimination, poor working conditions at a Tesla factory, and its response to a federal safety investigation are just some of the reasons that S&P flagged for dropping the company. But I think the important thing to kind of step back is say related to all this is the importance of recognizing the limitations of the current way that ESG criteria are measured. So in this situation, you have this like electric car manufacturer is rated based only on its production of its cars. And then you might have an oil company that's only rated on the emissions it takes to extract and deliver oil, not on the actual emissions from consuming that oil. So the result is where an electric car company manufacturer doesn't score as highly as it sh probably should, and an oil and gas company maybe doesn't take the hit it should. And I think for any of the investors and advisors that are kind of listening in right now, the really important is like, this is an opportunity to kind of put the art back in the art and science of investing and advising, in the sense that you really have to understand where these sustainability data comes from. Because unfortunately, even though there's a lot of progress that's been made and a lot of people are moving this direction, it's not standardized in the same way that financial performance information is. So you would have situations where sustainability information, performance information is not necessarily comparable across different sources for different funds or different companies. So that's essentially what's going into this that's accounting for why a situation like with Exxon and uh, Tesla would happen. So, you know, I, I know Tesla, I think it was last month, Tesla got kicked off the S&P ESG index and Musk tweeted that ESG is a scam anyways. He said it's been weaponized by phony social justice warriors. What's your response to that? I think it's also being weaponized by folks that um, are not scoring highly on these ratings, right? And so I think it's it's this situation that right now you're there's increasing crackdown, particularly from a regulatory environment, particularly here in the U.S. with the SEC, that are requiring more and more disclosures around climate, around inequality, things like that, human capital management disclosures, things like that are already in contemplation. And so I think there's a lot of companies that are beginning to reorient to really align with a lot of these increasing regulations and standards, um, and that some are this fundamentally struggling to. And so I think that's what this backlash that's occurring, there's a lot of like joyful noise that's occurring in terms of debates about the legitimacy of it. A lot of it is just, it's this kind of, we're in a state of flux, a lot of uh, requirements and standards are getting pressed down. And so folks are struggling to adapt. And I think that's part of what's going on right now. It's so easy to focus on the, uh, on the environmental portion of ESG, but how heavily do the S and the G, the social and the governance 
weigh into these ratings? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's so when you think about kind of uh, there's something called the Sustainability Accounting Standards uh, Standards Board. Um, and so they're essentially looking at what are those material ESG characteristics across all of the industries that compose the U.S. economy. Um, governance and societal considerations are of equal weight to environmental. Um, and, and we're finding that um, across all sorts of supply chain issues across for companies um, that ultimately roll up into the performance of portfolios. Um, so it's of increasing weight. And like I mentioned, there's, you know, while the SEC is contemplating a lot of general kind of ESG disclosure requirements, and in particular is contemplating right now climate related disclosure requirements, um, the next one that's kind of down, coming down the pike is around human capital management. And that's really just, you know, human capital management is kind of a gateway to really understanding bigger systemic issues around racial inequality or income inequality that are increasingly being tied to kind of this idea of material drivers of long term performance. And so these will you know, they're, they're of equal weight. And then quite frankly, good governance should be consistent across every kind of company, across every kind of investment, regardless of whether it holds itself out there as ESG or not. Yeah, very true on that point. In terms of some companies making ESG efforts, you know, there's so many lofty goals that we hear, but which companies would you say are actually making strides on this front? Yeah, so I, I would say I'd highlight probably one or two. So um, one would be PepsiCo. So in 2021, PepsiCo announced this kind of fundamental transformation of what they do and how they do it. And essentially center of that is this idea of sustainability and its development strategy um, with this kind of climate action approach centered on reduction of GHG emissions combined with this focus on resilience. And so they call this thing pet positive and it covers like actions around the way ingredients are sourced as well as manufacturing. And so they have all these kinds of objectives around cutting virgin plastic, shifting to 100% recyclable bottles, expanding its soda stream brand so more people can make soda at home. They're also doing things like joining forces with other food uh, companies to essentially drive bigger supply chain developments uh, with vendors. Um, and then they're ultimately aligning what they're doing with bigger global goals like the Paris Climate Agreement, which is essentially this call to action to limit global warming well below two degrees Celsius, preferably 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2030. And what's important there, I guess the highlight about the PepsiCo example is that they're really they're pursuing a fundamental holistic sustainability strategy, um, both for their company, but also for the kind of broader industry with which it is a part. And they're aligning all those efforts with those global goals, because fundamentally what we're talking about are these big systemic issues that will require um, systemic solutions. And I know what you might say is like, well, but Bill, they make sugary drinks. Doesn't that create like downstream negative health outcomes and things like that? And that's where, yet again, that art and science of how we do this analysis to really start to capture what are some of those interconnected factors that need to be accounted for and how much is a company like PepsiCo really be it, being able to identify that that is a potential downside risk of their current operation? And how are they fundamentally looking to transform that over time? And then are they actually measuring their progress to doing that um, as they go forward? Going back to the E for just a second, earlier in the show, we were talking about really the energy crisis and how there's such a renewed focus on investing in oil at this point because of shortages largely tied to the demand and also the, the supply and demand issues and largely tied to what's going on in Russia, Ukraine. How much does that, could that really hinder this movement in terms of focusing on clean energy and 
environmental sustainability? Well, I think it goes back to this idea that these big systemic issues like a global crisis around energy, um, like a global pandemic, like a global financial crisis, these are all these like once in a millennia things that are happening with greater frequency. Um, and I think one of the things to really, it's important for people to start to understand is that these issues are, are growing increasingly com complex, they're interconnected, they're happening more often. Um, and so we are going to continue to experience these kind of shocks to the system. And so what it means, particularly for those that are thinking about ESG um, and trying to understand, well, how do we weather these storms? It's really started to think about the kind of ways in which that we invest and the kinds of solutions that are needed that go well beyond just saying, I'm mitigating the downside risk to my particular portfolio with these specific companies, but really starting to understand how do we start to address the operating environment the broader context, so it's that idea of shifting from seeking alpha to building beta, and really thinking about that operating context so that you start to address some of these irreducible uncertainties. You know, things like this, uh, you know, Russia invading Ukraine or a global pandemic or things like that, it's just showing how interconnected these issues are and that it's not an easy solution. It's not just to say, oh, we have to shift to one other form of energy. We have to really think about a diversity of approaches so that we have more adaptability as these shocks to the system occur. And so that's really what that kind of like this evolution is going to be needed um, if we're going to start to really weather these kinds of um, these kinds of uh, storms going forward. Sure, it's certainly about being more proactive than reactive. We have to leave it there. William Burkhart, CEO of the Investment and Integration Project, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing your perspective. Thank you. Have a great weekend.